This is Party on the Peninsulas, your weekly update on the people and policies leading Michigan, with Michigan Democratic Party Chair Lavora Barnes. I'm Lavora Barnes, Chair of the Michigan Democratic Party, and this is Party on the Peninsulas. The word this week, safety. The safety and security of all Michigan, fighting crime, is at the heart of much of what has happened in Lansing since Democrats took charge in January. This week, the governor added to that record, signing into law legislation allowing the courts to temporarily remove weapons from persons deemed to pose a major public safety threat, including those cases involving domestic violence. It adds to new laws already enacted requiring universal background checks and requiring safe storage of weapons. These are laws that were blocked for years by Republican legislators who were held captive by the NRA and gun manufacturers but quickly enacted by our new Democratic legislature. The governor's budget recommendations, now being finalized in the legislature, include funding for improving security at our schools. And the latest efforts to increase our personal security were outlined this week, providing resources for local police to deal with the underlying causes of crime, as well as give police greater resources to fight crime in our neighborhoods. In a moment, We'll talk with one of the mayors on the front lines of making us more secure in our homes and communities, Lansing's Andy Shore. But first, our weekly summary of the week's political and policy news with our own Dorian Tyus. I'm Dorian Tyus. Here are some of the stories impacting Michigan politics and policy this week. Governor Whitmer has signed a red flag law meant to keep guns away from those who may harm themselves or others in the wake of the Michigan State University mass shooting earlier this year that left three students dead. Senate Bill 83 will allow Michigan to join a group of more than a dozen states who have already enacted red flag laws, also known as extreme risk protection orders. The law will allow those who are close to someone to petition a judge to remove firearms from them if they believe they are a threat to themselves or others. The signing of the bills comes as some sheriffs in the state have voiced their opposition to the law and have threatened not to enforce it. More than half of the state's counties have passed resolutions declaring themselves as Second Amendment sanctuaries, meaning they oppose laws they believe impede their gun rights. Attorney General Dana Nessel vowed to find people who will enforce the red flag orders. Quote, for those who are in law enforcement who refuse to enforce these important orders, let me say this loudly and clearly. I will make certain that I find someone with jurisdiction who enforce these orders. End quote, Nessel said at the bill signing. Nessel has also joined a coalition of 17 attorneys general filing an amicus brief with the United States Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit supporting the federal government's prohibition of the sale of handguns and handgun ammunition by federally licensed retailers to individuals under the age of 21. Our neighbors in Indiana are continuing their campaign to take away individual freedoms. A newly signed election law makes voting by absentee ballot more difficult. Voting rights advocates are concerned the law passed by Republicans along partisan lines will disenfranchise voters and add cumbersome requirements to already overworked county election officials. In a victory for reproductive health care rights, an effort by Indiana's Republican Attorney General 
to punish a doctor for performing a legal abortion on a 10-year-old rape victim fell short. The state's medical board cleared Dr. Caitlin Bernard, determining that she did not improperly report child abuse and that she is fit to practice medicine. She was, however, fined $3,000 for improper public disclosure of information about her patient. For nearly a year, Attorney General Todd Rakita pursued punishment for Bernard, who carried out the abortion in June of 2022, less than a week after Roe v. Wade was struck down, enacting trigger laws. A new report from the voting lab shows two conflicting trends among the states when it comes to voting rights. In Democratic states, laws are being passed to make voting easier and more convenient. But in a majority of Republican-run states, new laws restricting voting rights are flourishing. The study highlights a rising number of laws passed in the first three months of the year that add greater requirements for mail voting, disempower nonpartisan election officials, and add criminal liabilities for election workers for any mistakes. A growing number of Republican-leaning states are moving to undermine direct democracy by restricting citizens' ability to bypass lawmakers through ballot initiatives and constitutional amendments. The latest efforts is in Ohio, where Republicans are attempting to amend the state's constitution to require a 60% yes vote for approval of a ballot proposal. The move comes in the wake of a petition effort to enshrine women's health care rights into Ohio's Constitution. The Missouri legislature failed to approve a similar measure on Friday, but Republicans vowed to bring the issue back in 2024 in an attempt to head off a citizen's attempt to restore abortion rights in the state through a constitutional amendment. A similar measure will be on North Dakota's ballot next year, while one is in the works in Idaho would ask voters to increase signature requirements imposed on petition gatherers. Florida Republicans added new hurdles to that state's constitutional amendment process in 2020. In Lansing, the House Labor Committee voted along party lines Thursday to expand the collective bargaining rights of teachers unions and their employers. The bills would allow unions and districts to bargain over what classes teachers teach, how teacher evaluations look, and several other administrative issues. Democrats have framed opening bargaining up to these topics as a way to increase teachers' voices in key school district decisions, potentially retain more teachers and restore key bargaining rights that unions lost in 2011 during a series of education reforms. Michigan's public schools will no longer be ranked based on their performance using an A through F grading system. Governor Whitmer signed legislation to eliminate the letter grade system for public school rankings, characterizing it as burdensome red tape for Michigan schools. Public schools will continue to issue grades for assignments and tests to students. The Michigan Commission in charge of investigating the misdeeds of lawyers says nine attorneys who attempted to overturn the state's 2020 presidential election, committed misconduct and should face discipline, according to a complaint obtained by the Detroit News. The document reveals that the Michigan Attorney Grievance Commission is seeking to formally penalize some of the most vocal proponents of the legal effort to reverse Republican Donald Trump's loss, including Texas lawyer Sidney Powell and Georgia lawyer Lynn Wood. 
For more information on these and other stories, go to our website, partyonthepeninsula.com. For Michigan Democratic Party headquarters in Lansing, I'm Dorian Tyus. Thank you, Dorian. Our Walt Sorg had a chance to talk with one of the people on the front line just making our community safer, Lansing's dynamic mayor, Andy Shore. Now in his second term, Mayor Shore is a former member of the Michigan House of Representatives. He began his public service career as a member of the Ingham County Board of Commissioners. As both a legislator and county commissioner, he represented the same area once represented by former commissioner and legislator Debbie Stabenow. Mayor Shore, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Great to have you with us. Great to be here, Walt. I appreciate it. Love all you do. For every mayor in the state, crime is an issue where, one, you've got a problem, and two, you're really lacking resources. How does this new initiative that the speaker and others have unveiled, how's it going to impact cities like Lansing? Well, the most important thing, funding. It's got funding in it based on based on crime rates. You know, if your your crime rates are higher, then you're you're getting more funding for not only you know police officers and, and actual public safety directly, but also for crime prevention. So you know, we will see an increase in funding. It's a it's a formula that would uh, that would be year to year, so you wouldn't have to fight for it every year. You get money through through a sales tax formula. They're calling it. I think Mayor Duggan called it the public safety revenue sharing proposal or something to that effect, but it'll provide resources that, that we could really use. You know, we are, we're continually understaffed. We, you know, we, we put a lot of money into things like advanced peace, which is a, an interrupter, a violence interrupter program. And we're putting our general fund dollars into that to the tune of about a million dollars. You know, we do a lot of programming and things like that to, to prevent kids from going down the wrong path. So, you know, we, we take initiative to, to help out kind of at all three levels. To, to, to prevent kids from going down the wrong path, to try and turn them around once they've started going down the wrong path, and then to, to make sure that justice is served for those who are victims or you know, who have victims' families. You know, we're trying to get guns off the street. All of these things are important and all of them take resources. So the, the proposal from Speaker Tate that I believe Mayor Duggan was, was part of will help out Detroit and Lansing, Grand Rapids, Pontiac, and a few other cities where you know, we're, we're in an urban area, we're a denser population, and then you see kind of different crime, you see higher levels of crime because of the, the density. So uh, I'm excited about it. You were one of the first mayors, I think, in Michigan to really focus on de-escalation funding, to have situations where it made more sense to send in a social worker or a mental health worker rather than an armed police officer. How's your experience worked with that? Great. We were the first, you're right. We were the first city in the state of Michigan to do a social worker. We did it. We did it before it was cool. It was a proposal by former chief Mike Yankowski. You know, he, you can't, he wanted, you know, 20 more officers. He wanted a new police station. He wanted a variety of things that we couldn't afford. But we also talked about how do you maximize police officers? You know, they want to, they want to, they want to go out and help people with crime and, and respond to crime. And a lot of times they get calls where, you, you just have someone with mental health issues or you have someone with substance abuse issues and we don't criminalize those folks here in Lansing. So when the officer gets there, they needed a resource. So we hired social workers. It's working really well. I mean, our social workers are overworked. We've hired three more since we hired the first one. They help out people. They work with community mental health. You know, I, I'll give you an example. We, about a year or two, we had a guy wa- walking down Washington Square naked, talking to himself. 
you know, in, in previous times or in other cities, you know, a police officer may arrest that person for public indecency. Uh, ours brought the social worker, the social worker talked to the, to the guy. He was clearly not, not mentally stable. So they, they put him in the car. They brought him to community mental health. They, they helped to get him treatment. That's a big deal. It's a big deal for society. It's a big deal to show that we don't want to lock these people up. It costs us money to lock people up. And then again, having experts like a social worker that can, that can do that and help people. It's tremendously important. How did the cops react to this? Uh, at first they were, at first they were kind of iffy, right? They, for them, it was like, if you're going to put money into a, into another body, why not make it a police officer? Now they're very supportive, very supportive because again, it's, it's less that they have to, to deal with, especially with an expertise they're, they're not social workers. So now they're very supportive. Uh, so as we, you know, as we, as we get more, as we build in, we're, we're actually putting units on the street called crisis assistance teams, where you put a police officer, a social worker, and a firefighter EMS uh, is in a team and they go together and they address issues and whoever is, whoever needs to takes the lead. All of that is, is very helpful. I, I will note that even with our social workers, you know, a lot of times you have to have a cop with the social worker because sometimes folks with mental health issues or substance abuse issues can be violent. Um, so you need to have a, a, a police officer who's trained, you know, our first social worker actually asked for a bulletproof vest. You want to keep everybody safe. But again, it's just a great asset, a great tool. And I, the police officers have been very positive about it now. Another part of this holistic approach to fighting crime has been the gun safety laws that the governor has signed into law after moving very quickly through the legislature, most recently the red flag laws. Not in effect yet, but do you see this having a major impact for urban areas especially? I hope so. You know, I hope so. You're going to need, we, we have lots of folks that we've run into where you hear, you know, well, their, their parents knew that, that they had a problem or their brother or sister, or their friends knew they had a problem. You know, we hope that, that they will report those folks to a judge. Judge will make a determination and that the person can't have a, a, a gun. And it's, you know, it's a fair process. You don't want to take away anyone's rights. But again, when you know that someone is, is not healthy mentally, then you don't want them to be a danger to society. So I, I really hope so. It's my understanding it worked well in other states. You know, you look at a state like Florida, which is a very Republican red state, and they've had this for years. It's my understanding it works. So, you know, our officers are certainly looking at the law to make sure that, that we understand how it works and our judges and other, others. So the implementation will be important. But I, I'm very optimistic about it. And I'm we should point out that the Florida law was signed into law by then Governor Rick Scott, who's not exactly what you would call a flaming liberal. No, right. That's right. And, uh, you know, again, they, they saw a response to, to shootings in Florida um, and they passed this. Again, this, it's in several Republican states. This isn't a partisan issue, even though some would make it that here and it passed on a partisan vote. It's just disappointing to me. This is something that's important for, for safety, but, you know, it's the way it is. I want to shift very briefly before we let you go, and that is to fixing the damn roads, something you've been talking about probably longer than Gretchen Whitmer. But as a mayor, you're between a rock and a, hard, well, a, a pothole and a hard place because you've got the problem. Uh, we've, As a former Lansing resident myself, I've seen them. The roads are horrible, but you haven't got the resources. The legislature is beginning to work on that, but at least in the larger urban areas by changing the formula. Without getting too wonky, what are the changes that need to be made? Well, I mean, funding, right? You, you mentioned it, Walt, you hit the nail on the head. We get right now about $17 million a year. Sounds like a lot of money. We have about $300 million in road needs right now. If I, if I had $300 million and the workers to fix, then we can we give you beautiful roads tomorrow. 
So yeah, it's a, it's a funding issue. When you have 17 million, you know, you can, you can fix a few roads. Uh, you can fix a lot of potholes. You know, we'll, we'll get your pothole in about 48 hours when you report it, but we can't reconstruct the roads. The formula is something when I was in the legislature, I tried to look at you know, the formula right now without getting wonky, about 34% of, of your gas tax and registration dollars after you take off the top transit and a few other things with the pot that's remaining, about 34% goes to the state. So those are state highways and roads. Another 34% goes to the counties. And then the, the remaining 28, 29% goes to cities and villages. Problem with that is when you look at that over a number of years, any reports that you see, state roads are in pretty decent shape. Counties are in okay shape. City, city roads are in terrible shape. So less money has meant less fixes, has meant less quality of roads. You kind of need to invert that, I think. When I was in the legislature, I proposed to raise, to raise the city and village amount to a, to a higher number for any new money that comes in. I really don't want to take away from others, especially counties, but I want cities and villages to get the same amount. States are a little, bif- a little different. They're getting 34%, plus the governor just did a few years ago a major bond to fix roads. So the state got a huge infusion of cash and you're seeing it. You're seeing it, you know, right now we, we have trouble driving on 496 because one of the lanes are closed. But again, that's, that's fixing the damn roads. She's fixing the damn roads she can fix because she was able to, to do dollars on her own. The legislature wouldn't support that at the time. So, you know, I'm, I'm always hopeful that there will be a review of the quality of roads, the, the, uh, the number of traffic on roads, and even more importantly, especially for cities, neighborhood roads. You know, if I'm going to put the limited dollars I have into the roads we've done recently, Pennsylvania, Kalamazoo, Mount Hope, Miller, Jolly, these are main roads. Everybody on the side road, on the neighborhood roads, like, what about my road? The answer is it's not, it's not traveled enough. We just don't have the money because it's not coming in from the state, from the gas tax and, and the registration fees. So I'm very interested in seeing that increase for cities. And it's also complicated by how the money is divided up within each pot. It's based on how many miles of road you've got, not how many people you've got driving on them. Right. Nor, nor the width of the roads. You know, we have, we have wider roads. So it's, it, we have a, a road that's a mile that's, you know, real, real wide as opposed to someone else, you know, a small town that has a road that's a mile that's, you know, one lane on each side. That's not factored in either. So yeah, I'm, I'm certainly interested in the, in the formula within the formula as well. Are you working with the legislature on that issue right now as a part of the budget process? Not as a part of the budget process. It's something where I think that they, they've taken big bites out of a lot of things, lots of issues. You mentioned guns and labor issues and, and abortion and civil rights. Uh, this has not been something that's, that has come up yet, but I'm hoping as they get back into policy issues after the budget's done, probably after the summer, this will be on the, on the agenda. Mayor Andy Shore, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us on the podcast. Thanks, Walt. That's our update for this week. My thanks to Mayor Andy Shore for sharing his knowledge and experience on the crucial issue of protecting public safety, as well as what's needed to, as the governor would say, fix the damn roads. This podcast continues to evolve into what we hope will be a major resource for Michigan Democrats as we build towards the 2024 election and beyond. We welcome your feedback on how to make this podcast more useful for you and other party leaders. Just send us an email comments at partyonthepeninsulas.com. We will return in a week with more about your Michigan Democratic Party. I'm LaVar Barnes. Thank you for listening. Party on the Peninsula is a production of the Michigan Democratic Party.